There are consumer laws that specifically seek to protect against unfair contract terms. Even just to some extent, reasonableness can come into commercial agreements as well. But definitely, yeah, consumers are better protected. Welcome to the Ad Tech Heroes podcast. Each episode features an interview with today's leaders in advertising technology. If you're working in ad tech and always wanted to sit down and pick the brains of today's experts, then this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we meet a new ad tech hero. This episode is brought to you by SeedTag, the world's leading contextual advertising company. Contextual intelligence allows you to engage with consumers within their universe of interest on a cookie-free basis. By delivering ads into content, we capture users' attention faster and retain it longer. Learn more and reach out to us at seedtag.com. Hello and welcome to the AdTech Heroes podcast. In today's episode, we are going to talk about regulation in the digital advertising industry, and I'm delighted to be joined by John Doherty. John is a partner at international law firm Pennington's Manchester Cooper LLP. He advises companies from various industry sectors on disputes and the ever-increasing number of regulatory obligations they face to ensure consumer protection. Hello, Jan. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Glad to be with you. We've done a few of these podcasts now, but um, safe to say we've not had anyone from a legal background. It's all it's all been marketing professionals that we've had up until now. So no, great to have you on board, and I'm excited uh, to be speaking with you today. Let's kick start uh, and off with a question: How regulated is the digital advertising industry, in your opinion? I'll give a typically lawyer's answer immediately. Depends who you ask. If you ask people in the industry. They'll probably say, oh, the regulation is just, it's just too much. It's coming thick and fast and we can't do anything. If you ask consumer rights privacy campaigners, they'll say, where's the regulation? And even when it is there, is anybody actually following it up and, and enforcing it? And you know, what, what is its real meaning um, for the consumer? I suppose so that, you know, so I guess it depends on your, on your perspective. I mean, if we take take the example of cookies, then you know, arguably, there is enough. There's you know, there, there's enough in in the general data protection regulation, which we're all so familiar with, the GDPR, um, uh, to 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 protect users' rights. But then, of course, there are instances where the way that businesses are actually, as far as they're concerned, complying with those regulations, there's dispute as to whether they are actually complying in the way it was intended to protect people, because it's, you know, the argument is it's far too confusing, multiple selections are there, and people sort of partly run out of time or lose the will to live and just click allow all, and so sort of defeating the object. Um, but as I say, another perspective is it's just all far too strict. It's reducing incentive for business and, uh, you know, to motivate, you know, for investment, etc. So, you know, differences of opinion. I think that's a good, great place to start um, in terms of the cookie, uh, the cookie-less environment, data privacy. Um, the clients that you work with or or just generally in the sector that you work in, are they, you know... What what are they thinking about this? Are, are they thinking about it in as much detail as, for example, the media agencies are, the media owners are, um, such as CTAG and and the publishers? Um, how how much are the the brands thinking about this? Um, and 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 are they are they really coming to you for advice and guidance on this matter? Brands are definitely 
very, very concerned because data is so important. Well, picking data in particular, um, but of course, there's regulation across many different areas to for consumer protection in particular. But yeah, brands um, are very concerned because, like everyone else, they're competing for their for their share of the market, and they don't want to be left behind. And so they are always sort of, you know, seeking to use whatever means are available to to, to push their markets forward to compete um, and to get ahead. You know, that's that's that kind of natural business uh, survival. Uh, survival of the fittest sort of instinct so yeah they're, they're they're very keen to know what they can do and, and, and what they can't and that's i suppose that's where we where we come in and in particular are you know we've got many lawyers in the firm who specialize uh, in just advising on data privacy because that's become such a big area in and of itself and and how would you say it differs from country to country um you're obviously based in the uk as a, as am i uh, do you find that there's a different tact in different countries that your brands are either operate in or work across? Definitely. And again, that's not just necessarily data or, or advertising, but that could be across lots of different areas of regulation. And that, that creates a slight uh, dilemma, I suppose, for any business, because on the one hand, they could say, well, if regulation is much less restrictive in territory B or C than it is in, in A, why would we do that? You know, why would we um, not, you know, do the, as, as little as possible? But then other big important factors in terms of brand reputation and, and promotion is that do you want, by the same token, to tell the consumers in one territory that they're less important? Or let's say, you know, taking another example, safety. You know, maybe the safety provisions in Europe or in the US, let's say, are are quite high, policed partly by regulation, but also policed by the potential for class actions if anyone is going to be harmed. That's another sort of consumer or lawyer-led um, sort of form of regulation. But it's never ever going to look good or be very um, easy to explain to a court or if it's in the US, for instance, where juries still hear a lot of the, um, the civil claims as to why one set of consumers were being treated as second-class citizens to another. So for, I think for brands, although theoretically there are different regimes, they will, I think, try as far as possible from a reputational uh, and ESG perspective to, to, to make sure that they keep a level playing field and treat all of their consumers the same. And, and how do you feel Brexit is impacting a lot of that? So uh, I'm referring really to kind of GDPR and European-wide practices and, and regulations that have been put in place. We've got obviously got um, the similar applied in, in, in the States now as well. Uh, so, yeah, how, how would you say, that, you know, the, the likes of Brexit uh, have impacted that? And, and if anything, are, are the UK leading or European markets leading the way when it comes to regulation in the, in the advertising space? Yeah, I'm not, I think the, the EU has definitely been, you know, le a standard bearer, certainly in, in areas like data privacy. Um, and whilst we've been in the EU, so it's, we're still relatively new, sort of finding our feet with our training wheels on or our, our armbands, making our own way in the world now. So not really much has changed as, as, 
as yet because what the the government here said is that once we leave the EU, basically everything that we had in terms of EU law and regulation and practices is set in stone, what's called technically the retained law. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't really changed much. The difference is we can. Theoretically, again, we've got the ability to change and do what we want. But the real the real world politics is we all have to work together with people and countries have to work together with other countries. And so the UK has the ability to do what it wants. But it's uh, i think in reality it's not likely it hasn't changed a great deal yet and i don't think it's likely to change because again when it comes to things like data transfers when you're working with the eu if we wanted to take a policy that was considered to be not particularly protective of data well then the eu is not going to allow us the same privileges of working with them because they'll say well you've let whatever in sort of by the back door so theoretically yes but i think so far we're seeing that Brexit hasn't, isn't really going to bring about any dramatic um, changes. So you don't think the UK is going to think, you know, we're, we're out of Europe now, get out of GDPR or, or uh, regulations and, and, and those type of European regulations. You don't see us going back to the point that you just mentioned now, which is we need to share information, we need to share best practices. Do you think, is that the main reason why you think that the UK won't just completely come out of it? Yeah, I think I think they're the sort of practical constraints. So I say, you know, that the, the theory is there, you know, and especially for those who are the most ardent Brexiteers, it's sort of, you know, taking back control and we can do what we want and, you know, we're masters of our own destiny. But the reality is everybody to a certain extent, including states, including countries, they're restricted by the environment in which they work. And, you know, we can't, and, and everyone has to work together. You know, we may have left the European Union, but we're still... We're still in Europe geographically, physically, and, and working with our neighbours. And so, yeah, I think it's, and actually, I think the the UK, in, in most regards, pretty sympathetic to most of what was being done. I mean, again, it's, which is always the way, I suppose, it was only probably a very small percentage of reforms or, or certain practices in Europe that seemed to cause a disproportionate amount of angst leading to leading to Brexit. Um, but I think on most things, we're likely to be we're likely to stay pretty level. And, and I think going forward, we will as well, maybe looking at things like artificial intelligence. I mean, I think that's going to be a, a very, that's going to be a new battleground, because I think a lot of people are quite afraid as to how this artificial intelligence is, is going to work and whether it's going to prejudice people um because you know it's just no one understanding exactly how it's going to work and actually being concerned that it's been a fairly it's been devised i suppose in the confines of a fairly narrow mindset i mean people might say in a the groups of young silicon valley men for instance Mm -hmm. they've devised this how is it going to react you know how is it what, what what will its effects be for everyone and you know are they going to be inbuilt prejudices whether they're intended or not and so i think there's a lot of concern about that and i think again the eu is taking a forward-thinking approach to that and is is concerned to make sure that we don't as consumers get um, prejudiced and i would i would generally think that the uk is likely to follow suit in terms of the bodies that that are out there currently and imposing these uh, any kind of sanctions um Kind of who are they and and is there like a big case that you can think of 
um, where you know the, these have been imposed. There are the official regulatory bodies or the competent authorities, as they're known in, in the various states. So in the areas, let's say, of competition, to make sure that there's fair competition, that we're all being getting a, getting a sort of a fair deal. So we've got the Competition and Markets Authority. It's their responsibility to protect consumers' interests from, let's say, price fixing amongst big companies or any companies that are dominant abusing that dominance. And I think with the big, big tech companies in particular, there have been a lot of, you know, concerns they've been brought you know looking at um apple and giving access to businesses for their apps for instance there's been a lot of controversy that they take too far too big a cut of the revenues generated from the businesses through those apps and some you know so there's a there's a case where a particular games company has has challenged but i think the 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 competition and markets authority are looking generally and wondering how does this impact on the consumers and the service they get and the prices they have to pay but then there's also the information commissioner's office which is another official regulator for data so they're the official regulators and they do investigate and they impose fines and they've got you know they've got powers and they've got teeth to, to try and um, regulate these industries but it's not just them there are say the con- consumers can can gather and are increasingly gathering together and forming groups uh, to bring class actions or group. It's not strictly class actions um, typically here as as you have in the US, although there are a few different sort of types. But if we, for, for argument's sake, broadly call them class actions, um, there's a, a, a quite a well-known case which is has been heard at the High Court and heard in the Court of Appeal and is currently, sorry, and has been heard in the Supreme Court, but we're currently awaiting the judgment of the Supreme Court. And that's a case which was brought um, by a man called Richard Lloyd, who used to work with Witch, the Consumers Association. And he brought a claim as a representative. So this is this class action sort of concept on behalf of all iPhone users. So I'm an iPhone user. I don't know if you are, but yeah. there, there are a lot of us. And we didn't, and lots of people wouldn't even, won't even have known that this claim was being brought on our behalf. But basically, and this was some time back, but Google were essentially taking the cookies from iPhone users without consent, without asking us, you know, are you happy? And uh, when we'd use the internet and selling it to to advertisers and, you know, making a good business out of that, but no benefit, well, no financial benefit immediately coming back to the users. I think there would be arguments that maybe some benefits were coming back indirectly. Um, uh, and, and Mr. Lloyd took issue with this and said, you know, you've breached the data rights of all of those iPhone users and they're entitled to compensation. So brought this opt-out claw on behalf of all iPhone users, brought it to the High Court. The High Court said, uh, agreed with Google and said, you know, this is just, you know, it's too imprecise. This, this class that you've brought before me you know, they're all going to be different. There's going to be businesses, be individuals. And they said, you know, most people wouldn't even have known that their data was being used and maybe couldn't care and, you know, don't feel that they've been prejudiced particularly or, or lost anything. And, and then they were also raising other technical arguments about whether they could be served here for this action. Richard Lloyd appealed on behalf of the iPhone users to the Court of Appeal, which is the most recent decision we've got. And the Court of Appeal reversed the, the High Court and took a much more consumer iPhone user friendly approach and said, no, you know, the, 
you're looking at it the wrong way. The logic is Google used the data of iPhone users. It was clearly valuable data just by dint of the fact they sold it. So that proves it was valuable. Um, they didn't give their permission uh, or certainly didn't give any active uh, permission for that to be used. So they should be compensated. And, you know, they accepted it. Yeah, it's a complicated question maybe as to how much each iPhone user should be compensated. But the start, but that's something almost you can push that off to a separate consideration, an economic consideration of what is it. But in principle, the liability question is, yes, they said, you, you know, Google does, should have gotten the consent, they didn't, and the iPhone users wrote something. So that's going to be quite an important decision. The, the, the judgment is due from the Supreme Court any time now, really. It's just when the Supreme Court's very busy. So when yeah, they yeah. get around to actually uh, producing their judgment on this. But um, so that's a really important case, which a lot of people are watching and generally who are watching from a perspective of this additional power, really, where the consumers through individuals and class actions can be another restraint on industry and in, uh, in addition to the sort of formal um, regulators. It's an interesting point. And do you think there's a lot of information that gets missed by, by us as consumers within small print, within, you know, pages and pages of, uh, you know, you know, like I'm guilty of it myself, you know, signing up to either a new app or a new platform or uh, a new, um, you know, it's just so easy now, nowadays, you click three, three buttons, and you've signed up to something. And, yeah. and, and it's, and it's, yeah, you just feel like, you know, I, I probably don't know half the things that I've signed up to. So I'm kind of giving that permission, but in a half hearted kind of way. Do you yeah. think that that is an issue? And, and I always go back to the case of, um, whether it's on Facebook or even uh, I've got a uh, Alexa at home is having a conversation with my wife about I don't know dinner plans for the for the day for the evening or or watching a movie and literally a couple of um, like now literally I'm, I'm in the office now when I just said Alexa and I just heard <laughs> she's listening she's always listening um, and uh, and and it's and it's a case where you know you've you've just had a conversation you don't think anyone's listening and then an hour, two hours later, you'll get that exact recommendation that you were after or, you know, um, you know, there's no other way that Facebook would have known, you know, to, to push a, the latest movie out to you in, in a display ad or, or something like that. Do you, is that happening? Is it the kind of like long way of asking you the question is, is that, is that happening and, and should it be happening? Well, I mean, I suppose on, on the question of, the fact that we all a bit we get a bit ground down as individuals and I say it as a lawyer with seeing pages of terms and conditions presented or you know a link through to the, but I think the, the practice of most consumers is they'll scroll through the many pages because they just want to get on to the thing so for that reason consumer contracts if they because they are they are contracts you know there's a, a legal uh, relationship that arises between us and and the the service providers. So they are definitely contracts, but we're given sort of, as consumers, we're given more leeway by the courts in the sense that the businesses have to be extra um, transparent and, and, and fair, especially if there's anything particularly onerous. And there's always going to be an argument and the, and the law is evolving in this all the time um, as to what it is exactly we're agreeing to. Because it's not, 
you know, if it's two big, two big businesses, two FTSE 100 companies, they'll have teams of lawyers looking through terms and conditions. And when they arrive at the final document that they've actually really properly read and considered over many months, and then they all get together and have a big signing meeting, and then they have a sign, they have, you know, properly considered and signed up to things. It doesn't mean that they don't make mistakes. But in those instances, the courts will say, you know, your, you know, your big companies, you had advisors, and if you've agreed to something you now don't like or you think is is commercially unfavorable, well, unlucky, you know that, that you know that, that was your mistake. But there's a mo- there's a lot more leniency towards consumers because we don't have the lawyers around but to sort of advise us when in that those split seconds between trying to do things. So. I think all, the companies will always put terms and conditions in, as I say, and I think especially if it's consumer terms, they should be making efforts to make them as prominent and as clear because they will ultimately that will will protect them if there's an argument brought by a particular consumer in a class action or by a regulator to say this isn't fair and it wasn't brought properly to the attention of the consumer. So. And but you know that that's one of those grey areas. It's it's mm. you'll only actually know whether you did enough to bring it fairly to the attention of the consumer when a claim is brought before a court and they actually make a, a judgment on it, or a regulator makes a particular pronouncement. Um, but a lot of the time, we, people are just sort of you know, going with their instinct or their informed, advised instinct to a certain extent as to what should be considered ultimately reasonable. Would would you then say this? There would always be a slight bias towards a consumer from from a judge's perspective, for example, because, like you said, they don't have that financial. They might not have that financial backing, um, yeah. and, and that knowledge. Uh, so, if there is like a fifty fifty situation, it's more likely to go and swing in the way of the consumer. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, definitely, and you know, I mean, and there are there are consumer laws that, that specifically seek to protect against unfair contract terms and things which even just to some extent reasonableness can come into commercial agreements as well but definitely yeah consumers um are given a uh, are, are, are better protected but yeah you know. and in the digital advertising world you know it's, it's in terms of revenue and scale it's being dominated by the likes of google facebook amazon um are they do you feel again in your opinion do you feel that they're doing enough um when it comes to uh, taking that responsibility, whether it's privacy or or um, anything like that, they've definitely changed their practices. So if it's, if it's Google, for instance, Google will you know will point out that the practices which are now being brought, well, wait, they are now waiting for judgment in the Lloyd and Google case to do with cookies. That those practices have changed. That that's not the, the, the case anymore. Facebook reforms are, have been brought in by the company themselves. They've got the oversight board now to to be sort of a, its own supreme court over um, content decisions and things. So I think the big the big tech companies they are um, they are they are making efforts themselves to um, to change their ways. There's a theme, I think, generally with when it's especially in digital anything or, or technological anything, the law is is quite conservative, and it's always sort of playing catch up. This is this is the theme you see that that, that, that sort of emerges continually. There are always going to be new new technologies, new approaches that, by the time 
the lawyers have sort of it's, it's come to their attention or the, the the lawmakers it's come to their attention that potentially there's a problem with this or it's not uh, it's, it's acting in a way which is prejudicial to someone's rights and interests and then they then start quite a long process to try and put things into law and it's you know so so we're always playing catch up a little bit um and i think as again on the horizon looking at at artificial intelligence um i can see that that being the case as well to a certain extent but um yeah sorry <laughs> yeah no it, it, and it's no it's definitely interesting and we know the uk is looking to ban for example junk food advertising online from 2023 how, how do you think that's going to impact these household brands and and what are their alternative options because they're they must they must be being squeezed in every shape and form really you know if, if they can't advertise online or tv or whatever it might be uh, after a certain time when their captive audience is probably more likely to be engaging with with their ads um, or appreciating their ads um what what's the what's the other alternative for them i think the government has taken the view based on you know sort of public health concerns and, and lobbying that there is an obesity crisis there is a problem and especially with young people um you know with these sort of high in fat sugar and salt foods and the way they've been marketed you know we can all relate to the all this the confectionery things being left near the till area when people are coming through harassed with their weekly shopping and young you know children and they are reaching for whatever it is the mars bar or they always seem to be in the eye line of a, a three-year-old child, right? I, I find that all the time, kind of yeah. all going through the supermarket and, yeah, any, everything out of eyesight and reach is just, you know, it seems obvious, but it's, it's super smart, right? The way they've thought about their, their aisles and the plans and, and everything like that, you know, it's all fixated. And you, you think of McDonald's as a great example, you know, growing up, with Ronald McDonald and you'd have your McDonald's parties or your Burger King parties. And, you know, that would yeah. be the thing, right? You'd be like, Oh mom, can I, can, can I have a McDonald's birthday party, invite all my friends because everyone else in your friendship circle would do the same. So I, th I think they've been very smart in that sense. But like you said, the it's catching up now with it. Not, they're not doing that. And I also, also do find, a, um, you know, speaking to whether it's within work or family members that are under 18 now, you know they're they're kind of not as focused on these fast food brands as maybe we were growing up in the 80s the 90s i think that's right and a big question which is going to be put to the government in this context is well is it going to make any difference you know if you if we put this and i think the the the, the reality is that it will you know because on, on one hand the companies may say well, you know, is, it's, is it really going to, is, it's a restriction and is it going to be effective? I suspect it, it probably will. I mean, certainly taking the example of tobacco advertising, which has been banned in the UK and Europe for, for a number of years and, and sponsorship and consumption rates of the traditional combustible tobacco products, so leaving aside sort of the, the newer ones, the vaping ones, um, have definitely been... Uh, reducing and you uh, you were asking as well about is that the only way or are there other ways that other than seeking to ban and i think there's public health education campaigns and that certainly was a factor as well with smoking you know and even from tobacco companies saying that you know this isn't 
you know, and looking at the warnings on packs and, and, and increasingly, or especially taking the tobacco example, you know, diseased organs. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that being the only branding there is, it's a, it's a health warning and a, and a, and a yeah. sort of a diseased organ. The UK is, is um, looking to ban junk food advertising um, online from 2023. Um, so, John, how, how will you, how do you think this is going to impact household brands and, and are there any alternative options? The household brands uh, will be concerned about this. Nobody likes to have their advertising rights, their rights to, you know, free competition impacted. But as we know, foods in in high in fat, sugar and salt, they're controversial. And there is an obesity crisis, especially amongst the young. So um, I think it's, you know, I suppose it was inevitable. It kind of, it follows in the trend on the back of restrictions that were brought in for other controversial products, uh, in particular tobacco products from from many years ago. Um, There are, in answer to your question, there are alternatives. There is public health um, education, which is another big way to to try and impact on that health problem. But I think similar to tobacco um, and and other controversial products like alcohol, it's actually, it's a combination of some regulation around promotion and age restrictions, etc., and the public health campaign. So, yeah, I just and, and I think if we look at the example of tobacco, there's no question that consumption rates have reduced over the years in those traditional products. So, leaving aside the modern sort of vaping products, and I would expect to see the similar reduction in consumption rates for the foods, um, you know, generally being described as fast foods, um, that that um, are, are going to be the subject of these bans. So, so we'll all be healthy moving moving forward. Then, do you think, um, especially <laughs> our children and our children's children? You think if they're not being exposed to fast food advertising, Ronald McDonald, Donald's ads, and all these lovely looking burgers, which we all know are all fake and plastic burgers on on the screens in our in the adverts. Um, you know, it, you know, if they're not exposed to that, then surely we'll all be healthy from now on. It's yeah, it's a nice. Yeah, I think that that is the aim. I mean, and there'll always be arguments. There'll always be people will say, well, you know, is that advertising restriction? Is that going to have the desired effects? You know, or not? But I think in it's a sort of well, a slightly superficial but common sense uh, response is if it wasn't going to be a big deal and to the extent that it affects all market um, participants this in the same way why would the industry be concerned about it so i think it's probably fair to say that it, there will be an a, um an effect on consumption how how much exactly or how quickly um that's been a bit more difficult to to try and predict are these fast food brands allowed to show on their adverts these you know perfect looking burgers if the actual you know end product doesn't look the same i've seen a few documentaries that show you know it's not real cheese being used it's not real burgers it's um you know being sprayed on etc um just to look a lot better than it really is is isn't that misleading the consumer in thinking that their end product looks like that and if so how are they getting away with it there are general not not necessarily advertising specific but there are general consumer protection laws again that against unfair trading and part of that would be any trader 
that's presenting their products in a misleading way to try and deceive us and and you know encourage us to believe we're going to get something that we're not um i you know i I won't comment specifically on anyone's products to say whether they are what they claim to be or not. But I can say at that general level that if people are uh, suspicious that they're not what they are purporting to be, then, you know, that there are consumer protection laws there and the authorities, so trading standards authorities in particular, who are there to, to, to hold those businesses to account. I suppose it can be quite difficult because you know what what is being represented visually is vague you know it's not saying this is 100% cheddar cheese or you know it's showing a picture and i suppose that then you get into that as we always do as lawyers you get into those gray areas of arguing well what is that communicating and one person says well it's definitely telling me that's real cheese another person says well i don't know maybe it's you know it's not claiming that it's the best quality but it's it's definitely showing it as cheese. Then you get into a question, what what is cheese? And lawyers will get into the definition of what cheese actually means. And it will have a quite a, um, a detailed definition, I suppose, of levels of dairy product and you know, milk, etc. So those sorts of investigations and questions only really get properly considered when someone challenges something. And it then and if, if the business in question either accepts it and changes their practices or they dispute it and then it's got to go before a full sort of um, consideration before a court. I think that one of the um, the first documentaries that was out, I'm not sure, John, if you've seen it or not, um, was a super, was it Super Size Me? Or, oh, yeah, um, I've heard, from, I think I've seen bits of it, I haven't watched the... Yeah, yeah, and it, and it was, I think, just, just a, a guy who's overnight, obviously got overnight fame and he... Um, he challenged McDonald's, which stated, uh, and obviously I don't know exactly what they stated, but it was on the lines of, um, you know, you can have McDonald's breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it's, uh, you know, you've, you've ticked all your boxes in terms of nutrition, vitamins, etc. Um, and he challenged that. And I think a few, I think it wasn't even a few weeks. I think it was a few days in. Um, he's, he was, he was, that's what he was having. So he was going McDonald's and every time, um, and this was in the states, and 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 their portion sizes are much much bigger than the UK. And um, I think someone that you know, when he was being served, if they if he if they asked, do you want it super size, he'd have to say yes. <laughs> and the amount of times he had to have a you know an extra extra large Coke or a you know you just think of the sugar intake that you would have had is ridiculous. So I think that was what I remember of one of the first documentaries that came out, and he challenged that and. You know, after a few days, is the doctors simply said to him, "You you can't do that. You can't carry on. Otherwise, you will die." <laughs> it's as simple as that, really. Yeah. Um, and I think that really uh, everyone woke up a little bit. I think as a consumer after a show like that and, and shows that followed that, um, because it made you think. You know, there are some. You know, there are some elements, um, and you need to have a balanced diet. And you you know, too much of one thing isn't isn't so good. So yeah have have the mcdonald's but don't have it every you know three meals a day so i think i think documentaries like that have helped in educating the consumer in what you should and shouldn't be doing yeah and also i think you know the, the businesses like mcdonald's and they because of the the concern i mean i suppose in one in one way 
they would say we we don't we would never promote someone to have all their meals mm -hmm. with us although as a business presumably they'd be quite happy uh on one level on a commercial level for, for, for that to happen and i suppose they try to change the menus and they try to introduce healthier options um but you know but this is all you know th these are all the considerations that the businesses have to make and of course they they evolve so you know years ago they did have much much um higher levels of promotion with the children's parties and mm -hmm. and the happy meals and things and i mean it's been a long time since i've had a happy meal <laughs> they weren't around when i was a child because it was so long ago <laughs> and uh, my children are all adult now so it was a long time since i ago since i was buying any any happy meals but i think they have now sort of been aware that that they are subject to criticism for having the toys and you know and, and sort of trying to encourage children to be a, be loyal to that brand and 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 of course if they are and and they were going to grow up to be such loyal consumers that they're eating there every day it's not it's not going to be good for them yeah so they do have to take a responsibility and if it's not through the particular um sort of uh, health um authorities and um they you know they they are they potentially have as we talked previously about class action potential uh, claims that could be brought on on behalf of groups that feel that they have been misled and um sort of encouraged to to adopt these really bad um dietary habits yeah yeah oddly enough after the show i think i was more inclined to order a McDonald's because I saw the 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 range that they had in the US, and I was thinking, well, why, why is that not available in the UK? Um, but you know what? F fair to them, I think uh, a lot of brands have caved in with such um, you know uh, you know disastrous PR or or claims and documentaries, etc. But I think there's um, a lot of brands that have have kind of been you know hands up and said, you know what, we need to change we need to change little things and make certain tweaks here and there and. Um, I, th I think with fast food restaurants, it, I think the, the key word here is options, uh, like, or you know, the, mm. there is an option. You can have fries with your meal, or you can have salad or carrot sticks yeah. if it's a happy meal. So I think they're giving those options, which I think um, you know, which uh, you know, l you know, l enables them to say, look, it's, it's up to you. It's your decision. Uh, we've got all of these different things available, and we're not kind of forcing you in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, res responsible sort of risk um, management. Exactly, and 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 on on that um, on that, I've got a question around uh, green, being green and sustainability. Do you think we're in an era now, aren't we? I think we're at quite a focal point, really, where you know more and more cars are becoming more electric. Um, everyone's looking at their carbon footprint and the impact that they're having. Um, on the world and you know there's tons of tech companies or, or, or you know there's ways of giving back now that social responsibility or you know, environmental mm -hmm. uh, responsibility do you think you think companies are genuinely doing it out of their own you know uh, the way that their conscience or is it a case where they're just jumping on a bandwagon that kind of well, what's your opinion on that i think i would say not wanting to be too cynical that probably the majority of companies are seeing and you know, led by their marketing people and again not to be unfair to marketing people led by their you know that desire to get out and sell their products if they see as they do see and, and is a fact that sustainability is really important and really important to younger generations in particular 
And of course, if something's important to someone, the marketeer's mind is, right, I've got to tap into that and I've got to play to that and I've got to, you know, hook their the marketing fisher fisher people. Yeah, they've got to hook the people in on the on 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 the back of that, whatever's particularly concerning them and interest. Um and and I think definitely with sustainability uh, and ESG, that is one. And this concept of greenwashing has has arisen as a as a as a result, where companies are being accused of just making various claims that are misleading. You know, I don't to give an example of sort of misleading environmental claims. It could be saying our product doesn't have, or our, our, our product's one hundred percent CFC free. When in fact, you know, it needs to be that anyway. So they're they're promoting it on the basis of something that it's not allowed to have anyway. But it's it's sort of playing on this unfairly, in a misleading way, on this desire to be green and sustainable. And to the extent that they are misleading the consumers, then they can be challenged um, for that under specific environmental rules, but also under general consumer protection measures that that. Um, provide that you can't you can't mislead consumers to to, to buy your products yeah I, yeah i think it's i think it's important and and i think we've all really got our part to play and um i think companies are really leading leading the way here and, and i can only you know give my first time experience of um of ctag and and what we're doing here so you know just you know making slight changes and you know what we do is we reuse laptops so if we've got old laptops we'll make sure we're, we're giving them or donating them and uh, handing in old phones and um more re recently at CETA we had an, an initiative where a, a tree was planted on behalf of everyone at the company so uh, over over 200 trees were planted um so i think corporately everyone you know the companies have responsibility but also as individuals we need to make sure that we're thinking about it as well um, you know, we're representing a company that we work for, but we're also representing ourselves when we're out uh, out in the world. Um, so, yeah, I think as long as we're all chipping in and doing our best, um, yeah. then I think that's the, that's the most important thing. Yeah, and also I suppose if you if you take a general a generally positive view of it, even you know the companies that maybe are making claims that are not completely substantiated or backed up by all the environmental uh, sort of science, but it's good at least that people are, well, you know, I don't want to say it's good that people are greenwashing, but it's good that that sustainability is on the agenda to the extent that people are, are aware of it and businesses are aware of it and want to um, sell on the back of it. It's just that they will have to um, be policed properly to make sure that they are selling it responsibly and fairly and, and accurately. That's the, that's the thing there. Definitely. A final question for you. What do you think is the future for regulation in the digital advertising industry? You mentioned AI. Is that is that where you feel that the industry is going? Um, or, you know, are there any other ways to think about the future for regulation? I think more, more regulation <laughs> is definitely, and that sort of serves keep, me well. Keep you in a job then, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> serves me well as a regulatory uh, lawyer. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's going to be more because, you know, human beings we're we're innovative and we're changing you know we're, we're thinking of things we're creative we're thinking of things all the time and let's say it's all kind of moving along and definitely um as i demonstrated just even trying to get onto 
negotiate the technology to get on this podcast. Uh, lawyers aren't the most technically uh, adept. And because of that, the, you know, the creative industries and the, and combined with technology and digital episodes will be always a few steps ahead of the lawyers and the lawmakers because they're creating. The, and in, inevitably, certain things are going to be discovered that are not acting as they should or acting in an unfair way towards people. And as a consequence, the lawyers are going to say, right, we've got to do something about this. But there'll be a few years um, behind, probably. And AI is definitely one that I think, I mean, I, you know, I don't know the extent to which it's already being used potentially in, in quite controversial ways. Mm-hmm. But what's good is that, and certainly at, at the EU level, I think there is this very strong um, focus on on protecting individuals and their rights. And I certainly hope and expect that the UK will continue along the lines broadly of falling in line with good regulation that continues to come out of the EU. Um, so that's, yeah, that's how I kind of I see a, a regulation, a future with more regulation in it, but in a, in a good in a good way to, to protect uh, us all as consumers. I think it's been really interesting to get a different perspective. Um, as I mentioned, in our day-to-day, we're not, and we probably should be talking about it a lot more. Um, as marketers in the industry, we, sh- we should be talking about regulation in, in greater detail and, and, and the bigger picture, um, rather than, you know, just the, the activations, the creative, the, the um, you know, the media um, that we run across. Thank you, John, for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Ad Tech Heroes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. To see all the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, head over to adtechheroespodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by SeedTag, the world's leading contextual advertising company. Contextual intelligence allows you to engage with consumers within their universe of interest on a cookie-free basis. By delivering ads into content, we capture users' attention faster and retain it longer. Learn more and reach out to us at seedtag.com.